Hello and welcome to Deep North. Today we're here with staff writer Ragnar Thomas on his piece One Night in Gövenes, a profile of rapper Birnir and his people. One Night in Gövenes, the rapper Birnir and his people. Jeffrey Skywalker pulled up in a Hertz moving truck in front of the Fusk warehouse in East Reykjavik. He was dressed in skinny jeans and white sneakers, wearing a black long-sleeved shirt featuring an ornery-seeming Rottweiler. He's a dog person. A fixture of the hip-hop scene in Iceland since he was younger, Jeffrey hustled his way up from glorified glass collector at the coffeehouse-come-nightclub Prikith, dubbed the home of hip-hop in Iceland, to the now owner of the establishment, prior to co-founding Sticky Records in 2016. Stepping out of the truck, Jeffrey tossed a handful of fire safety signs onto a large wooden spool, which had been turned on its side in the yard to function as a table for concertgoers. He had only just set the signage down when a balding fire inspector parked a white jeep on the gravel lot and exited his vehicle. Walking over, the man jabbed an inquisitive finger at a large black shipping container, open on both ends, that led into the warehouse. What's this? As Jeffrey and his associate explained that the container was to serve as a tunnel into the concert venue, the inspector, half-man, half-iPad, shook his head, and his head would continue to shake throughout his tour of the premises. By the time he returned to the car, smushing a phone to his ear with a vexed expression, it appeared as if the long-awaited release concert for rapper Birnir's sophomore album Bushido would suffer further delays. It was six hours to the opening acts were slated to take the stage. Birnit, whom Jeff met through Aaron Chan in 2016, spent much of the pandemic laboring over the album. The hardest working man in showbiz, according to Jeff. The Parrot hosted various smaller events in connection to Bushido, but always aspired towards something bigger for the release concert. Having followed the inspector to the parking lot, Jeffrey returned to the warehouse and apprised Birnit of the situation. As it stands, we won't be holding a concert, he said, but I'll move heaven and earth before I give up. He said all this, but in more secular phrasing. Translation's a motherfucker. The Gouverneur's Peninsula is situated in East Reykjavik, but sits somewhere between Chernobyl and Earthly Paradise. It's the site of a former government-owned fertilizer factory, funded by the Marshall Plan in the 1950s, and looks out across the water to Vede Island, boasting a fine view of the Esha mountain range to the north. The fate of the fertilizer factory was sealed in 2001, when a violent blast rattled the windows of neighboring residents. One of the buildings was converted into a film studio in 2018, and below the studio, nestled within a horseshoe of green hills, is the Fusk warehouse. The word Fusk in Icelandic is often employed to describe the handiwork of bungling repairmen. 13,000 square feet in total, made from concrete with a roof of corrugated iron. As part of an agreement with the city of Reykjavik, the warehouse now serves as a creative space for artists and a makeshift concert venue to boot. The first concert, a legal rave, was held there last summer. That Birnir chose the warehouse as a setting for his concert means something. There's no image as antithetical to idyllic nature as that of the factory, and yet a fertilizer factory, 
geared toward the production of material that increases the productivity of soil, must represent a kind of paradox, the sacrifice of nature for the sake of nature. This contradiction speaks to an essential quality of Birnit, whose addictive, self-destructive impulses fecundate his art. I'm an infant, my darling, emerged a junkie from my mother's womb, Birnit raps on the opening track of Bushido. A few hours later. The Prikith food truck is parked on the gravel lot in front of the Fusk warehouse. Ice cubes, it was a good day, old schooling from its speakers. Birnit, who looks like a young Channing Tatum with a plumper Adam's apple and a physique less obviously conducive to striptease, orders a hamburger. He's only just received a go-ahead from the fire inspector a few hours earlier, but remains, quote, incredibly relaxed. The general hubbub of the day impotent against his zen-like equanimity. He meditates often. Sauntering over to a hefty bench, precariously balanced atop a few boulders near the shore, he takes big, meaningful bites from his burger while basking in the evening sun. He's sporting green cargo pants, a white Bushido t-shirt, displaying an MRI scan of his brain, a black neck gaiter and white Prada sunglasses, which may as well be a VR headset. Birnit entertains the notion that reality is, quote, simulation. As a testament to this intuition, he interprets the surprising foray of his acquaintance Rob Cronick, the founder of Ison's oldest hip-hop radio show and in municipal politics, as proof that everyone is, quote, playing the game. As Ice Cube reminisces on an impossibly fortuitous day in south-central L.A., it appears as if Birnit is enjoying similar good fortune. After the inspector had driven off, Birnit and Jeff rallied their team of volunteers, insinuating metal rods beneath the black container, rolling it away from the entrance, before rearranging the maze of scaffolding inside the warehouse to meet the inspector's demands. Birnit communicates in short, stuttering sentences, replete with a shibboleth of youth, score, bara, thust, but his halting manner of speech belies some clarity of vision. He could have held his concert in a nightclub in downtown Reykjavik, could have secured corporate sponsorship, could have settled for a more conventional stage arrangement, but he's got a tendency to go his own way. Just ask his father, who used to look on in horror as his eldest son tempted death via various extreme sports. As Birnit takes another bite from his burger, the artist Narvi, who's affiliated with the burgeoning artistic community in Guvenes, walks over. Few people have made as lasting a first impression on Birnit as Narvi, not in any kind of social way, but in the way that an impromptu tattoo, a heart-shaped jumble of threads, leaves on one's right thigh at an after-party. I was there when he got Mama tattooed on his arm. Mid-conversation with Narvi, Birnit is whisked away by a friend, and concertgoers begin to trickle in through the makeshift gate on the north side of the property. On the pier jutting out from the peninsula, a few poles are fishing. Birgit Haukon is a large man of questionable repute, rumored to have perpetrated unspeakable acts in fellowship with dubious men. His whole set is a versified threat, imperiously sustained over trap beats. It's immoral, but interesting. Before him, Issy, barely deigning to make eye contact with a hoi polloi, paced the stage beneath a blonde mohawk and, in between casual ad-libs, 
belted out the occasional, Let's go! Where are we going? The Fusk acoustics are slightly subpar. The bass keeps assaulting the shivering corrugated iron, but the venue is undeniably fresh. In the yard during Drenker's performance, his music is best enjoyed on headphones, someone argues, an old acquaintance laments that his smartphone battery is in its death rows, 2%. Worried that the juice will drain before his booze dealer calls, he explains that he would charge his phone at not of his cabin, which the artist bought at an online auction and plumped down in Guvenus without much ceremony, only that electricity from the cottage is currently being diverted to the warehouse sound system. I don't know what I'm going to do, he sighs, but Briet does. She takes a stage by way of the supplementary scaffolding stage left. There's a whiff of marijuana in the air, which taken together with the building's dust and all the machine-produced smoke, make the warehouse's various aerosols impossible to differentiate. Later, while tuning her guitar on the scaffolding, stage right now, she puts her finger on that other quality of Birnir, equally endearing. Birnir's the most unique person I know, the biggest heart, the best hug. Damn, it's fucking cold, she says, entreating someone to come tune her guitar. There had been whispers throughout the evening that Birnir was planning on performing nearly 30 songs, a set list so sizable to be basically unheard of among local rappers. Director Magnus Levson, who often peppers his conversation with succinct English phrases, would later describe the rapper's stamina feat as a kind of rap Olympics. Standing in the back of the warehouse with his friends, including Arnar Fred Frostason of the Icelandic rap duo Ulvur Ulvur and Hlenur Inkolson of the now defunct rap group Skittunar, Magnus cracks up at the concept of Club Dub, the last of the opening acts, whose randy teenage lyrics are performed to an aggressive backdrop of upbeat Eurotechno. I went swimming today. I am Aquaman. There were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine girls in the jacuzzi, and I was alone. I was alone. Club Dub sings. Magnus, who has directed numerous music videos, ranging from Of Monsters and Men to Emsia Goethe, was approached by Birnir and Jeff during the pandemic. They sent him a handful of conventional Birnir songs before proposing that he shoot a video to Spurningar, a poppy earworm featuring gay icon Pautl Oskar. With his characteristically anglicized compactness, Magnus observed that the collaboration was, quote, the most shut-up-and-take-my-money combo he'd ever heard. He proposed shooting Birnir on roller skates, an idea that Birnir loved, for the rapper played hockey when he was younger and was, in his own words, rather good at skating. When the script had been drawn up and all the necessary preparations made, Magnus discovered that Birnir had somewhat overstated his adeptness. Seeing him tottering around on the skates during rehearsal, I thought, this is never going to work. Birnir assured Magnus that he'd be quick to recall some old tricks, and over the next few weeks, the rapper would send Magnus regular video updates documenting his gradual improvement. The upshot is one of Eisen's great crossover videos, admittedly there haven't been many, in which the glittering world of Pautl Oskar collides with Birnir's rap-punk aesthetic. Before exiting the stage, Club Dub perform one last song, an unreleased joint, utterly on theme, which inspires more good-humored disbelief from Magnus Levson's beaming face. 
There was the epiphany during the pandemic that certain things had been taken for granted, that standing in a crowded place listening to music was not a given, and that every underappreciated luxury could be snatched away on a moment's notice. But how quickly human realizations are brutalized by the onset of normalcy, especially when combined with a terrible quotidian weariness. After five opening acts and much idle chit-chat with acquaintances, one's senses had been bludgeoned to such a degree that one began to fear that Bittner's performance would be anything but enjoyable. As the sounds of the final intermediary DJ set faded, the crowd of people lingering in the yard outside began to move. Seeking to overcome my own listlessness, I pursued, by way of rather desperate contrivance, the instinct of following Bittner's father back inside. Severer Olafsson entered the building and broke away from his wife and friends, drifting, trance-like, amid a throng of people towards the middle of the dance floor. As Birnir bounced on stage like a man possessed, embodying all the qualities that the opening acts, aside from Briet, could only have incarnated one at a time, Severer stood completely transfixed. He did not appear to take notice of anyone else in the crowd, did not check his phone, and it was only later, after three or four songs, that his gaze appeared to finally break. He just stood there in his brown leather jacket, taking the occasional sip from his beer, rather resembling Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, with the most touching of looks in his eyes. Seurder's enraptured state, I later gleaned, had something to do with pride, pride in his son's DIY attitude, which had moved him to hold this concert in this place. Seurder had been there that morning, aiding in the preparations alongside two of his other sons. He has four sons. It also had something to do with relief. Birtner, now sober, and assisting other young people to stay sober, had bought his own apartment and was engaged in a long-term committed relationship. But most of all, perhaps, his father's rapture had something to do with the music itself and the confirmation that honesty, in all of its rawness, provides the vital spark for any worthy creative endeavor. I walk the planet like a maniac, telling the truth, of which everyone is afraid, Bidnit raps on maniac. It, along with hard work and talent, had brought these people together, singing along to deep cuts on the album. It is honesty, full-throated and vulnerable, which elevates Bidnit's music above that of other contemporary rappers in Iceland. That and some excellent production. Bushido, according to Jeffrey Skywalker, is a culmination of certain developments in modern hip-hop in Iceland. One is inclined to agree. To put one's finger on the appeals of the album requires perhaps some basic theorizing on the phenomenon of music, on the power it exercises over a person's emotions. There is a cognitive component to emotion. To experience fear... It is not enough to unconsciously introduce a frightening stimuli to a subject sufficient to inspire all of the physiological hallmarks of the emotion because fear requires the conscious recognition of danger. This insight sits at the heart of modern CBT therapy, and stoicism for that matter, which seeks to pacify strong, unwanted emotions by cognitive reframing. Music, on the other hand, achieves the opposite effect, Good music serves to intensify mild, desired emotions, salvaging the intensity of life-affirming passions from the inescapable wreck of prolonged existence. 
This ability of music, possessed most conspicuously by rap artists such as Sticky Fingers, Eminem, Tupac, to mention a few, is most poignant on Birnitz Vogur, the name of Eisen's addiction treatment center, the 12th song on Bushido. Produced by Banger Boy, Vogur is a celebration of the Rilkean mantra, Let Everything Happen to You, and its youthful defiance is rather intoxicating. I want to thrive, want to grow, want to be rejected, want to be told no, want to miss another person, want to cry, want to fall, want to rise. Mama, look, I'm flying. Mama, I promise I'll stop lying. Better than bad weather, than a good war. I trust my family, we're a fine team for sure. Take a break from the substances, it'll be good for you. That final line may have been spoken as advice by Birnir's father, and experiencing the concert through his eyes bought me a second wind that served to sustain my battered attention through half of Birnir's Herculean set. Somewhere halfway through the show, however, before I had the pleasure to enjoy Vogur live, some weariness tugged me back outside. Returning to my car, I briefly admired the dying embers of the sun, silhouetting the mountains to the west, as the music from the warehouse bled out into nature. Sometimes not even music, not the vital lessons of the pandemic, nor the joy of freedom, can conquer everyday weariness. Well, thank you for that, Ragnar. So to just start off, um, what kind of drew you to this piece? Um, yeah, so... I'm a, a fan of rap music and um, have been involved or, or was formerly involved with sort of the hip-hop scene in Iceland for a period of many years. And I've always been a fan of Birnir since he um, started making music. I think he first sort of crashed onto the scene in probably around 2016, 17, um, which was actually coincided with the time that I was um, sort of working as a co-producer on um, the Chronic radio show. So I had the privilege of meeting all these young up-and-coming rappers. And I think Birnit always seemed quite unique among among that group because um, he, he had this sort of charisma and this honesty about him, also very down-to-earth. And his whole sort of... I mean, he was a fantastic rapper and and um, pretty good at freestyling as well. So um, I always liked him, and then I think his music just got better and better. Um, and as uh, Jeffrey Skywalker, who owns uh, Sticky Records, which was um, the label that released the album, noted he felt like Bushido was some kind of culmination of you know this these certain trends in, in rap music, and, and it was just... I mean, it's just a fantastic album, and there are songs on the album that I really, really love. He has, like, these sort of very, I guess, modern, trappy, like, beats at times, but then there's also this element of, like, the old school, and I think he grew up listening and admiring Biggie a lot, so I guess for us of the older generation, we always like like it when someone sort of pays respect to the uh, originators, which is a very cliche thing, but yeah, that's that, I guess that's that's what drew me to it, and 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 maybe in particular the the concert venue itself. Um, 
I saw that he was holding this massive release concert in this very unique area in this old warehouse. And, you know. Yeah, I mean, it is, um, it is a very visual piece in a lot of ways. Um, just in the magazine, just these really great atmospheric photographs of the whole just kind of, um, yeah, this this like decommissioned factory and everything. I mean, like maybe you can paint a little bit of a picture of like what it's really like to be there. Cause I feel like that was one of the funnest things for me, uh, in like reading your piece was also just, I mean, like how beautiful it was, uh, just like how evocative the atmosphere was just like everybody who's kind of showing up just this kind of like big festival atmosphere, just like the very unique location. Yeah. Um, so the concert was held in Guvenes in, in, um, East Reykjavik and as I mentioned in the piece, it's it's almost like it sits somewhere between Earthly Paradise and Chernobyl because mm. you have like this beautiful view, almost panoramic of Eshan and, and a look uh, of you out over the bay towards Vede. And then there's this decommissioned fertilizer factory that was actually originally funded by the Marshall Plan. And I reviewed some old articles and I think the land was like at one point owned by this sort of Glimu wrestling champion who like hosted equestrian events so they'd ride horses there and yeah so it's just a very bizarre place and and also this was the summer after covid so i think this was actually the first concert big concert that i attended after like the lockdown mm. so th that was also very nice just to like have this freedom to just be there listening to music and meeting a lot of like old acquaintances from the scene yeah definitely and maybe you could talk a little bit about bitterness story how he kind of initially got into hip-hop just like what are the kind of uh what do the beginning years kind of look like yeah so um it's it's pretty funny like in the piece um i as i mentioned i'm i i'd been there for almost well, we showed up at noon to kind of watch the preparations and i was fortunate enough to witness the sort of interaction with the fire inspector and it seemed like they were just going to shut this whole thing down a few hours before the concert and i met birna's father there who was aiding in the preparations alongside of his um i think two of his other sons were there he has four sons and and um yes so like i say i, I was growing pretty tired by the time Bitten had actually stepped on stage and he was slated or it was rumored that he was going to perform like 30 songs, which is crazy. I mean, it's a long album, but he was going to do a lot of other songs and then he had features. And so one of the things that sustained me through the uh, concert was following his father there and watching him um, in the crowd because he seemed totally enraptured and so sort of in the moment. And after the concert, I... um. I was asking him about, well, how did, how did Bidnit fall in love with rap music? Because I'd been like following him since he sort of arrived on the scene. Um, and I think it speaks to the smallness of Icelandic society. Um, I was actually, I, I asked him, well, what, what were you doing before the concert? And he said, oh, we, we have, you know, this large family and we like during the day we had almost an open house at our place and everyone was there and, and then we also have like this group of friends who we refer to as the Birnir support 
society or something, mm-hmm. and they always show up to well, most of his concerts to the slight annoyance of Vithnit himself because I don't know if you if you want to be like on stage with your parents and their friends there all the time. <laughs> and I, I I said, yeah, I, I actually recognized um, your friends. I, I know um, one of the couple, um, Sara and Vicky, who were actually the parents of my friend. And he said, yeah, yeah, I, I think actually that may have been how like Birnit sort of fell in love with rap music was through their son because he was part of this um, rap group in the early 2000s and he, he performed at the Inkelstork Square during National Day or something and, and Birnit was in the crowd and, and the, their son gave him like a shout out and he, he looked very like enamored with the whole thing and, and I mentioned, yeah, th- that's actually... That was probably my band because <laughs> we're um, we're former sort of colleagues in that regard, which is very interesting. So, yeah, as, as far as I can glean, he'd been like probably listening to rap music for most of his life. And then I remember also, um, like when I was doing interviews around 2015 and 2016, uh, the rapper was always mentioning this like young and up and coming rapper, his friend who was going to be, you know, who's so great. I think he called him Bennis or something early on, and I never knew who he was referring to. But then it turns out it was Birnit, and mm. and um, yeah, I mean, he's he took the scene by storm, released a few songs and singles, and collaborated with um, a lot of local artists, and and then yeah, he releases Bushido in twenty twenty, which is. A fantastic album. And Bushido has been kind of described as this culmination of a lot of different trends right now in Icelandic hip-hop. Um, for some of our foreign listeners, maybe, I mean, maybe you could just briefly sketch out what are some of those trends, what are some of the features of Icelandic hip-hop that might kind of make it unique. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, hip-hop in Iceland is gone through several phases beginning of course with like Rottweiler and Subterranean and some of these very sort of old school um, groups that emerged in the late 90s, Quarishi, etc. And then there was this sort of I do remember the first Theothauti uh, <laughs> that I went to on the on the Westman Islands uh, the, uh, Rottweiler uh, <laughs> was, the was there Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, I mean, that was like the f- <clears throat> maybe the first wave, and then you had this sort of second coming in the early aughts, um, which was, I think, pretty old school still, a lot of like backpacker raps. And then this sort of third wave taking place maybe around 2010, 2011 with M. Palme, which was like more modern, you know, these like trap beats and... Um, it just somehow became really interesting and it was like all the craze for a while. And I think with Bushido, Birnit somehow manages to combine all of the elements that we love about Icelandic hip hop and, and hip hop in general. It's, it's the production is like modern and unique. There are a lot of, I think there are three or four producers who sort of create most of the beats um, among them uh, Nasareth and, and Banger Boy um, so the music and the production is really on point and they spent a lot of time laboring over it 
during the pandemic, but also Birnir, you know, having sort of grown up listening to a lot of old school rap and and being quite sort of, I guess, um, ha- having this focus on lyrics and, and being this very outspoken and honest guy, that it, it somehow just all comes together with this like beautiful collage of songs that that are at the time you know they're they're timely but timeless as well mm. they also speak to a lot of the things that are going in going on in Iceland and among the youth um he talks about addiction and mental health and his family and so it's hard to put a finger on it i guess i would just encourage listeners to go and listen to the album especially Vogur which i thought was a um, as i say in the piece quite like it was a sort of affirmation of the that famous rilke and mantra of like let everything happen to you which is pretty comforting idea i find at times yeah i mean certainly the subject matter uh of his art is just very open like like one really gets the sense of just um yeah this just kind of total bearing it all kind of yeah and that's one of the things that his father mentioned as well was like of course he was engrossed by the atmosphere and the fact that his son was doing like hosting this huge concert mostly by himself with the help of his friends and and some volunteers but also he found because i think he's a he's worked as a graphic designer and is an artist in his own right and he's always been convinced that honesty and and truthful expression is sort of the core of good art and i think that's what he found at the concert that yes if you speak honestly and from the heart um of course that's not enough you got to do that in a very sort of technical and polished way as well um that it can it has the power to bring people together and i was also because you mentioned how scenic and photogenic the whole thing was was that um me and gola our publisher and photographer were working together on the piece and we it, it had been a very long day and i think gole was he, he came to photograph some of the opening acts and then he returned home and was going to return for business performance and he was there somewhere in the in the warehouse taking pictures and then i had this sort of epiphany that yes we need to um sort of see the concert through business father's eyes and he just had this absolutely enchanting mesmerized look on his face and i i told gole you have to get a picture of him in the crowd like you you have to like somehow capture this moment and i i think that's one of the things that i like most about the piece was that picture of his father standing there in the crowd looking utterly hypnotized by everything no yeah it's definitely just a really stand out photograph yeah uh, well thank you for that ragnar thank you Deep North is the official podcast of Iceland Review, the oldest continuously running English language publication on Iceland, covering community, nature, and culture. If you enjoyed listening, please consider subscribing to Iceland Review at our website. Papa <laughs> pillow